there are ways to make information pay, and many of them have nothing to do with profit. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and its podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's a generally accepted principle of business today that social responsibility enhances a company's brand reputation. At Thursday's annual Making Information Pay conference in New York, presented by the Book Industry Study Group, publishers heard that good corporate citizenship can improve operational efficiency, increase innovation, and encourage staff loyalty, among other benefits. In the audience was Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me now with a review of the proceedings. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, indeed, the day sessions at Making Information Pay explored community outreach, content accessibility, data security, and diversity as they all impact corporate social responsibility. So that's a mouthful. What did you get out of it? All in all, a very informative way to spend a Thursday, and I thank BISG for hosting the event, as they do each year. Uh, the morning started out with a really interesting fireside chat hosted by Shelf Awareness's John Mutter with three indie booksellers, um, two of which had inspiring stories to tell about the rebound that we've been seeing in indie bookselling. Uh, you know, I think it's one of the feel-good stories of the last few years uh, that indie booksellers are indeed seeing growth after a pretty prolonged period of decline. Uh, and one of the booksellers, however, a recently retired college bookseller, was a little less optimistic and, and offered a, a pretty interesting take about what's going on in the college market as more and more business-oriented university presidents are taking over posts at institutions of higher education. Uh, and basically, she told the, the audience that some of this new breed of college administrator is focusing less on books, less on the humanities, and more on fundraising and financing. And the result is that they're tending to outsource the bookstore. Uh, but as you know, the overall theme of the BISG uh, Making Information Pay meeting this year was indeed social responsibility, uh, sort of doing well by doing good, you might say. And two of the sessions laser focused on this, and one was on quote unquote cause marketing, that is sort of tying books to social causes in a way in which everyone can benefit. Uh, the publisher can benefit by getting a little extra marketing and you know another cause, uh, whether it's feeding children or animal rescue, et cetera, can benefit by the publicity that's generated. Uh, and another session that was fairly interesting was, although very technical, I have to say, was on ways to make books more accessible to the print disabled, especially through technology. Uh, and while it was very technical, it was still very interesting. Uh, and basically, that session argued to sort of that we now have the tools available to make books accessible at the point of creation, although it's going to require a little work to you know make everything 100% accessible to everyone, um, that's beginning to happen, and it certainly is well worth the effort. And you also mentioned a panel on diversity, uh, which was also very interesting, and that was hosted by our very own Kelvin Reed here at PW. But the highlight of the day for me was a keynote uh, by the Pew Foundation's Lee Rainey, who talked about data and privacy as derived from a recent study that was done by Pew. Now, you can read all about his presentation in Monday's issue of PW and online on the PW website. And I should also mention that you can listen to all of the presentations from the day on the BISG Facebook page. But among the highlights in Rainey's talk, he essentially told attendees that Americans are at once more concerned than ever about how their data is being used and what's happening to their privacy. And yet, at the same time, they're more willing than ever to allow their data to be shared in exchange for certain services. 
businesses. And publishers, book publishers, he said, are actually smack dab in the middle of this milieu, even though uh, they are pretty much in a pretty privileged position at this point, because most people still feel pretty warmly about books. Uh, you know, but managing that perception in an age of data collection uh, and increasing concern over privacy is going to be the task at hand for publishers, he noted. You know, among Rainey's most interesting observations uh, is that the default today among most Americans has switched from things being private to things being public. That is, you know, everything that is considered shareable, everything that we do, whether it's, you know, on Facebook or what we're buying uh, online, etc., all that information is presumed to be shareable unless we make an effort to keep it private. And that's a pretty big fundamental shift to have happen in our society, especially one without really a lot of public debate. And in the future, people are going to believe that uh, privacy is no longer a condition of anything, of any given service, for example, but a commodity that's going to have to be purchased. And to me, this was really sort of the most fascinating part of his talk uh, and a little unsettling if you consider that, because, you know, with the, the default now being most things are public and you can purchase more privacy, people with more money, of course, are going to be able to get more privacy in their lives. And it adds a whole new layer to the sort of the, the inequality that we talk about so much in American life these days. Uh, you can read more about that presentation on the PW website and in the magazine on Monday. But I, if you've got the time, I would also urge you to go to the BISG Facebook page and give a listen to what Lee Rainey had to say. It was a pretty fascinating talk. Well, indeed, you know, think about all the privacy your money can buy. Fascinating thought there. Well, speaking of information pay this week, an interesting lawsuit was filed in New York court by an author. Well, this happens almost every day these days, but this one claimed that one of the big five publishers was cheating on ebook royalties. Quite an assertion. The suit, though, appears to have a problem with it. And tell us about that. Yeah. So late last week, we learned that a former Simon & Schuster author had filed a potential class action suit against the publisher, uh, alleging that they are sort of cheating not only him, but many authors on on their backlist out of ebook sales. Uh, Specifically, the author, his name is Sheldon Blau. He's a doctor and the author of the 1997 book, How to Get Out of the Hospital Alive, argues that since ebooks are in fact licensed to end users, SNS is cheating him and other authors by treating ebook transactions as sales and paying royalties on those sales rather than paying generally what's a higher cut under the contract. That's a difference that I think we've talked about a lot on this program in the past and one that's sort of been simmering beneath the surface of the ebook discussion for a long time now, whether it's a sale or a license, etc. But Blau's attorneys allege that SNS has essentially been paying Blau and other authors more than 100% less than what they were owed under the contracts uh, dating back to 2010. And they're actually seeking to certify a class to represent all the authors that are allegedly being underpaid because their books are being classified as sales rather than as licenses. All right. Well, so good so far, but there was a hitch. More than one, in fact. But I would say, yeah, the most glaring problem with the lawsuit is that Blau's book was published by Simon & Schuster's Macmillan Professional and Reference Division, which SNS told PW was sold off in 1998. So Blau's publisher is actually now listed as Wiley, who eventually bought the Macmillan reference line from uh, a few other companies that held, including Pearson, who was initially sold to. And SNS officials also say that they never published a digital edition of Blau's book. So, whoops, wrong. 
wrong publisher in the suit. So why was the case filed against Simon & Schuster? Well, I've actually placed a number of calls to Blau's attorneys, and I've actually placed a call to Blau's office uh, himself to try to get an explanation there. And I just now have gotten a response, and we haven't actually spoken, but I hope to have more to report on this story next week. But the question I still have, and it's still open until I hear otherwise, is did they blunder here? Did the author not realize whose checks were coming from or whose royalty statements were coming from? Or did the attorneys make a mistake and file in the paperwork? Uh, or is there some other wrinkle we don't know about? Are the, is the list, uh, the Macmillan list being licensed, for example, which certainly doesn't seem likely. But until I actually speak with the attorneys, I'm going to assume it's just kind of a mistake, uh, which doesn't mean the end of the lawsuit, I should warn you, because even if the case against SNS is dropped, it could easily be refiled against Blau's current publisher, which which is Wiley. And the question of you know sale versus a licensing transaction is actually a question that really has been simmering in the ebook era, at least for some backlist books. Well, indeed, it is a fascinating question. And so if they do straighten out this mistaken identity issue, uh, you say there are other problems with this uh, particular line of legal arguments. So tell us what you see there. Yeah, I think there's going to be bigger legal issues here for this case. And, you know, for one, I'll just cut to the chase. You know, if, you know, if publishers were really cheating authors by paying royalties based on sales rather than licenses when it comes to ebooks, does anyone believe that it's a, a lawyer on Long Island is going to be the first one to ferret this out with, with one author? Um, I don't think so. Of course not. In fact, you know, the Authors Guild, given what we know about their litigious uh, propensity these days, the Authors Guild would have been on this one pronto, I would have imagined. But I think the problem with the suit is that it actually conflates uh, the end user transaction, which is, of course, when it comes to ebooks, technically a license, with the publisher's definition of a sale as defined in the contract. And virtually all major publishing contracts very specifically and unambiguously define ebook transactions as sales for the purposes of paying royalties. And they even define those royalty rates, typically 25% of net, which is a problem for some authors, uh, of course, as well. Now, we don't know what Blau's contract says, but it's really hard for me to believe that his contract does not define a digital sale in some way, because uh, digital language was actually common in most contracts by the 90s, for sure, which is when he signed his contract with Macmillan. But the bigger fatal flaw, uh, the bigger flaw that I see as fatal anyway in this suit is that I think it really has very little chance of being certified as a class action. And that's because while there may be a lot of common language among contracts on, on any given publisher's list, each publishing contract is individually negotiated and signed. Therefore, I think the court's going to have a hard time sifting through the negotiation history of each contract for how each digital sale was understood uh, to be negotiated in that contract. Uh, and the issue actually came up recently in a case we talked about a lot on this podcast, and that's the author solutions case. Because in that case, Judge Coe denied class action, well, for a number of reasons, but she specifically pointed out that the relationships in question in the author solutions suit were governed by contracts. So, you know, it would be easier for her to find predominance, she noted, if all the contracts were subject to the same misrepresentation, but each contract was individually signed, so they, the negotiation process was sure 
materially different. Uh, and this has also come under consideration in another case that's still going through the courts, uh, one filed against Pearson by two textbook authors who claim the company has sort of been juking them on their royalties using various mechanisms. Pearson officials have argued to the court, uh, sort of like I just did, that class action is impossible to grant in these cases, that they're actually contract cases because, of course, all of the deals among the various authors are negotiated individually. Now, a New York judge has yet to dismiss that case from being considered a class action, but that's only because they really have yet to really delve into the argument as to why it should or should not be a class action. Uh, you know, but to, but to put, put a bow on it, I'm going to go ahead and agree that there's a problem with digital royalties in ebooks that probably needs adjusting, whether it's a 25% rate or clarifying how backlist books are going to be treated. Uh, but publishers, I'm confident in saying, are definitely not using the difference, the semantic difference between what's a license to the end user and what's a sale to pay authors less royalties. Even though the end user transaction for ebooks is generally a license, the language in most modern publishing contracts really does specifically define ebook transactions for the purposes of author payments, uh, usually with, as I said, defined royalty rates. And, you know, it would be, I'd be really surprised if there was some larger scheme involved here with the publishers to publish backlist books without paying people the proper royalties. Uh, now, one last variable I should add here is that Macmillan was sold a couple of times since Blau signed his contract with them, and it's possible that the contract for him was sort of lost in the shuffle uh, from publisher to publisher. So, it is possible that Wiley is publishing his book and not paying him the proper royalty, but that's more of a contract case specific to him. Uh, and not a class action. So I, I am not expecting this case to move on, but I don't expect the issue of how royalties are paid on ebooks to completely fade away. Well, indeed, probably not. And Andrew Albany, senior writer of Publishers Weekly, thanks so much for joining us this Friday, as you do every week uh, on Beyond the Book, to tell us about the latest in the book world and to give us, just as a bonus, tremendous legal analysis as well. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights licensing, technology, and content workflow organization. At CCC, we serve more than 35,000 customers and 15,000 copyright holders worldwide. We manage over 950 million rights in the world's most sought-after journals, books, blogs, movies, and more. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes, or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.